What child is this? Ha, yes, yes, that is the question. That has always been the question. What child is this? That single question was the driving force behind our lengthy journey. See, we had to figure that out. We had to figure out what child this is. And I know. My friends, we, we have been called wise by many that we have met along our journey, but, but, but I hesitate if even for a moment to give any, any real credence to their judgment. See, it is known, or it should be known, that knowledge is acquired by keeping one's eyes open and mouth shut. So may I suggest that you keep your mouth closed and your ears open. And I will, to the best of my ability, attempt to answer your question as, as clearly as I can. One, we didn't stumble upon that child. No, we, we found a needle in a haystack. And how did we find that needle? By following the star. I, I know to many it would seem like a fool's errand, but we are no fools. No, we followed that star. And that star was moved by an unseen force. And who moves the stars but God? Two, we encountered that corrupt king, that king who wanted us to report back to him and tell him that we have found the child so that he could go and worship the child. My friends, do kings worship babies? No. No. Kings defend their thrones. And that king, that king, that, that Herod is a cruel and ruthless despot. It doesn't take a wise man to discern that. And that king, that king was threatened by this child. And, and mark my words, that child is a threat to all who are ruthless third I don't have words for three my entire life I've, I've searched looking to discern what is right and what is true yet it always seemed to be beyond the horizon of my knowing until in an instant I crossed a threshold and it was there I'm Pastor Michael. If we haven't met, I'm the student pastor here at Riverside, and it is my absolute honor and joy to be. Thank you. Thank you, those two people. Those are my, it's my, it's my mom and my grandma. Um, but it is an honor to be here with you. Before we get too much into it, um, some of you may have been here for the symphony this weekend, and what an amazing, amazing time that was. Um, but I just want to give it up to our tech team, our worship team, everybody that was involved in that, because that was a process and to take everything down last night and then to get everything back up, ready to go for service. So will you just give them a round of applause for us, please, and thank them. And I just want to reiterate what Andy said about Dollar Club. Um, thank you, first of all, for your generous giving a few weeks back. Um, but for the first time, I was able to be involved in Dollar Club. And man, oh man, your dollar that you gave impacts so many people. And like Andy said, please make sure you're back here next week. I know it's Christmas Eve, 
but it's absolutely amazing. I, I told the people that were doing all the video work, please edit out all the times that I cry throughout it, or it'll just be really embarrassing for me. So if you could do that, but it's an amazing, amazing stories that we want to share with you next week. And then finally, I have to address the elephant in the room. Some of you that do not know me are looking at me like, what in the world are you wearing? You Rudolph the Red-Nosed Loving Freak. Um, but, but we are in the process of doing these things called 25 Days of Christmas. And so this is what I do. So I'm sorry if you're not used to it. My friends are like, yeah, it's old hat. We've seen it for like 10 years. Um, but for some of you who are first-time guests, um, we are so excited to have you here at Riverside. And we're so excited to share with you what God's put on my heart. Because, see, I love this time of year. How many of you love Christmas? I do. I do. I love Christmas. I love the lights. I love the wrapping of the gifts. I love hearing um, the Christmas shoes like 63 times a day. I love that Mariah Carey comes out once a year like the groundhog, and we don't know where she goes the rest of the year, but she's there. Um, but I love, I love Christmas, and I especially love time spending with my family, many of which who are here today. Because the few weeks kind of leading up to Christmas, um, my wife or somebody else in the family will put together this uh, Facebook event page, and we'll put on there, um, we do an exchange for the kids, we do an exchange for the adults, and then ultimately, it gets to the most important thing, the food. And so somebody will in invariably put on there, what do you bring in? And so my nan will post what she's bringing. My aunt will post what she's bringing. And so today I want to take that whole idea of what are you bringing and tie it into the story of the wise men. Oh, hello. The, oh, these are some. You must have adorable moms and dads. They must be really good looking. All right, so today if you would be with us... Um, we want to look at the story of the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. So if you want to turn there, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. Um, and Ella's going to read that for us, starting off. Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern islands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the, from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was born. saw the star they were filled with joy they entered the house and saw the child with his mother mary and they bowed down and worshiped him then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh when it was time to leave they returned to their own country by another route for God. It had warned them in a dream not to return Herod. Thank you. Our youngest, I think, has like a little allergy problem. Here we get maybe some Benadryl on the way home. Do you see him? Like, that's my boy. Um, but so today we're going to talk a little bit about the wise men. Now, I want to be upfront with you as I was preparing for this message. Yes, 
um, there were three gifts that were brought, but not necessarily three wise men, all right? So in some places, they think there may have only been two wise men. Some of them think it may have been a smaller group of them. Um, Secondly, when they went to see Jesus, they didn't go to the stable. They didn't go to the manger like maybe some of us have originally thought of. Um, By the time they went to see Jesus, he was anywhere from one to two years old. So by that time, he was living in a house in Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph. Now, I know for some of us, that kind of messes with our precious moments nativity scene. And I apologize up front if you were an 80s kid like me. We had the precious moment. You may still do. I'm not judging. Um, But today we want to go in and just kind of give three takeaways, three lessons, if you will, from the wise men. And so in verse 2, as Ella read, it says, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So point number one that we can take away from the wise men is that they came searching for God. Now, every year in December, we have a friend that comes from out of town that comes to stay with us. And he stays for most of the month leading all the way up to right about Christmas time. Our friend's name is Elfie. Now, you may have a familiar friend that also comes, maybe called Peppermint, maybe called Jingles. I don't know if you have an elf on the shelf at your house. Um, But our youngest son, Ben, with the allergy problem, um, every single morning at the crack of dawn, he gets up, and I can hear him rustling around, and he'll start off in his room, and then he'll come into our room, and then he'll go to the bathroom, and then Ella's room, and then sometimes you'll even hear him creep downstairs, and he's looking around. And then invariably he will come up to me at about 5.30 in the morning, and he'll lay down beside and be like, Dad, guess where Elfie was? And as I'm still waking up, wiping sleep out of my eye, I'll be like, dude, where is Elfie? He's like, he was in the bowl of sprinkles taking a bath. Like, dude, that's so exciting. I am so happy to hear that. Now, that's a really silly story, but I love the intensity, the excitement in which Ben every morning goes to look for Elfie. Because I think there's things in there that we can learn from that. Because I want to have the motivation to search for God the way Ben searches for Elfie. Because you see, he looks everywhere for him. And he doesn't stop when he can't find him. And then when he ultimately finds him, he's so overcome with joy and excitement that it's hard to break him away from that. That sometimes we have to say, Ben, it's time for school. you got to get out of your jammies. And he's just sitting there looking at Elfie. Because you see, ultimately, that's what I want my life to be like. You know, I want my life to be where I'm searching for God, where I'm looking for him over and over again. And I don't stop until we have that where we meet with one another. And when Jesus shows up in my life, man, I want to be filled with so much joy that I can't walk away because I think about and remember what God's done in my life and ultimately what he's walking me into. You see, because God will do everything he can to help us find him. Now, it may not be a star like in the wise men, but it may be a person. God may put somebody in your life at just the right time that speaks into your life that helps you in such a way that points you closer to Jesus. It could be a scripture. There could be a verse that you read at just the right time in your life because your life isn't going quite well. You're in a season that seems a little bit unending. And God puts a scripture in there that changes the course, changes the trajectory of your life. You know, sometimes God will even use a really rough situation. He will put you in a place where you feel there's no way out, where you just have to throw up your hands and say, without God, I don't think there's any way I'm going to get through this. And ultimately, that's the way that God brings us closer to him. You see, one of my favorite verses is in Jeremiah, 11, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Because you see, God will do everything he can to help us find him, because ultimately, you were created for relationship with God. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. I love that. If I could tell you the number of times I've read that verse in my life that came at just the right moment I needed to, but it keeps going on there. In those days when you pray, 
I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. You know, there's been times in my life and, and fairly recently, even the last two, three, four years, where I went through a period of my life where I felt I was really disconnected with God. I didn't make it a priority. Things weren't going right in relationships. Things weren't going right in our family. And I realized that God had to get me back on track. And I'm so grateful that he did because as he did that, I realized the importance of spending time with him. And there's four things that every day I try to do. And some of these four things I'm gonna read are gonna be so common that you're gonna be like, yeah, I know it, Michael. But there are four things that I try to make a priority every day. And the first one is simply just to pray. Because I have to tell you, looking back on my life, there were so many times why I didn't do the simple things like praying. Why I didn't come to God every day and just thank you, God. Thank you for letting me wake up today. Thank you for all the things that you blessed me with. Thank you for allowing me to have an amazing, amazing family. I need your help right now because I can't quite do it on my own. And if I try to do it on my own, I'm going to screw it up. And so I made it a point every day that I spend that time in prayer. Second thing is I spend time reading my Bible every single day. Now, I don't just open up my Bible and magically pick a place I'm going to read. That doesn't work for me. That may work for you. But for me, I need it to be a little more orderly, a little bit more consistently. Like I shared with you last time, I'm a little bit OCD. And so I have to use a, a Bible reading plan. I go on the app. I find where I want to go. And it gives me a little bit to read every day. There's a devotional. It's what I need to keep me going. And just a couple of weeks ago, I love this position that God has opened the door for us to be in as student pastors. But sometimes life, work, ministry can get a little bit overwhelming. And we had all these things that we were trying to get done before the end of the year. And I was just running ragged. I was very tired. And I turned that over to God one morning when I was praying. And he pointed me in this direction. And it said, Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Man, that was just what I needed at that moment where I was able to just go, okay, God, take it. And he was able to help us in that season that gets a little bit overwhelming. Third thing I try to do every single day is I try to never just count a Sunday morning as the only time that I'm fed, that I hear teaching from the word. Because if you're going from Sunday to Sunday, and that's the only time you're listening to Pastor John or Pastor Dana or whoever it happens to be up here, dare I say, you're missing a lot. I don't know that that's what God intends us to do. So every day I try to make it a priority to listen to a sermon, a message, and I have guys that I just love, guys and girls both. And so there's a couple of pastors um, out in LA, Erwin McManus, Chad Veets that are pioneering some amazing churches out there, Judah Smith in Seattle. I love a guy named Rich Wilkerson that's down in Miami. I try to find messages and every day I spend time just listening to them, getting some teaching that I can apply in my own life. You know, it was so cool. Um, I don't know if you were here for the Passion Worship Night about a month or so ago. It was an amazing, amazing night. And it was so cool for me because one of the gentlemen that was here was a guy named Louis Giglio. And Louis was a guy that I've listened to for probably 20 years. He pioneers, pioneered a church in Atlanta called Passion City Church, and they're thriving down there. And so to be in the same room with a guy that has no idea how much of an impact he's had on my life was unbelievable. The other guy that was here was a guy named Levi Lusco. And about 10 years ago, he pioneered a church in Montana, of all places. Let me tell you, you got to be following Jesus to pioneer church in Montana. Um, but it has grown and has become a massive church there in the last 10 years. And he's a man that has had such an impact on my life the last few years. And it was so cool because that day, um, Andy asked me, hey, would you mind if people need to go to Walgreens or get something to eat, would you mind driving them around? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. Well, that morning, he said, hey, do you want to drive some guys to the gym? Because naturally he would ask me, because look at me, I'm like the gym type. <laughs> okay, you don't need to laugh at that, calm down. Um, and so I said, yeah, I would love it. And so we're getting in the van, and who's there? But, and I don't, not to get starstruck, I just know what this guy has done in my life. 
Levi Lusco comes out and we drive into the van. It was so cool. And as I was looking in the rear view mirror, he was like in our old junky van. If you've ever seen our van, it's nothing pretty, but it's paid off. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> and he was sitting in the very back of our van and I couldn't help but chuckle to myself because several years ago, Ella was painting her nails in the van like all six-year-olds would normally do. And she poured like a bottle of nail polish. And so Levi Lusco was sitting like on this old dried nail polish from like six years ago. And it just made me laugh. Um, But as we were driving back, he sat in the passenger seat next to me. um, And he goes, tell me about your student ministry. And I was like, uh, uh. And so I started to tell him what God's been doing at Underground, some amazing things. And as we were pulling back into the parking lot, he said to me, he goes, man, I can just tell that you've stepped out in faith. And he goes, there's some people that are very scared to do that. But he goes, to hear your story and how you walked away to step out in what God's calling you to do, he goes, I've only known you for a few minutes, but he goes, I want you to know that God has bigger plans for you. That your life is not just gonna be minimized by just being a student pastor. And he goes, I want you to be so effective there, but God has bigger plans for you even beyond that one day. And he goes, I want you to know that, man, I'll be praying for you and I'm so excited what God's been doing in your life. In just that five minutes. Now that meant the world to me. When you have somebody like that, that has had such a big impact on your life, and now they're pouring into you, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't stop smiling and telling that story. So, which leads into no, the fourth thing that I do every day, is I try to journal every single day. I have a journal that I take notes when I listen to messages, things that just kind of jump out to me that I don't want to forget. If God speaks to me when I'm praying or in my quiet time, I write those things down. Somebody comes up to me and say, hey, Michael, I just have a word for you. I want to write those things down so I never, ever forget it. Now, some of you are like, to try to do all four of those things, I'm very, very busy, and I totally get it. And you might be overwhelmed trying to do all those things. Start with one. If you're praying already, keep praying, but maybe add a second one. Because once you have that lifestyle where you're just open and say, hey, God, wherever you are, I want to search for you. I want you to fill me up. I want you to speak to me. It'll change the course of your life. You see, it's not a foolproof plan because sometimes we're searching for God, we're listening to his voice, and it feels like he's not showing up. We've all been there where we do all the right things, but we still feel like God's not intervening in this situation. You know, I shared with students um, a couple weeks ago, one of the analogies I like to, to share is my family, the five of us, we love to go see shows, musicals, stuff like that because we're very artsy fartsy. No, we're not at all. I'm just telling you right now. We are not cultured in the least. I shared with first service, we're like a frozen pizza and in our PJs by six o'clock kind of people. So we're not at all. But we love to go to, to these different shows, my wife especially. And so the five of us are sitting there and it's amazing to watch everything that happens on a stage like this. But what I always say is you're missing what's happening backstage. Where there's somebody that's changing out of their wardrobe There's somebody that has props that are getting ready to move in. There's somebody that's getting ready to move the curtain up and down. There are things happening behind the scenes. And for some of us, we need to be a reminder that God is always working behind the scenes. Even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it, God is still working behind the scenes. And sometimes we get so focused on the circumstances in front of us that we forget the big picture that God is still working. Now, even David in the Old Testament, fell in this trap. Because you see in Psalms 13, verses one through six, he said, oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever, how long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. So even in here, David felt that God had forgotten about him, that he was a million miles away. But if we keep reading, it says, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. I absolutely love that. And for some of us, just like Ben, keep searching over and over for the elf. Some of us need to continue to search Because God is there even when we can't see him. Even sometimes when it feels like it doesn't happen right away or you're not noticing, it's like with Elfie with Ben. 
Ben, I've been here sleeping in this Kleenex box the whole time. You've just missed it. You just haven't slowed down enough to see I've been there the whole time. You see, God is there even when we can't see him. Even when we can't feel him still working in our life, we've heard about it over and over. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He is there wherever you go. And some of you this morning need to have a reminder that you're not forgotten, you're forgiven. Because we're in a place, because Jesus came to this earth, and when he came, it set in motion a chain of events that ultimately led him to the cross. That eventually led him there so he could die for our sins. That he could give us a second chance that none of us ultimately deserved. You're not forgotten. You're forgiven. Second thing. If you look in verse 2, the wise men came and they worshipped Jesus. Because you see in verse 2, it says they weren't just there to see Jesus. They weren't just there to visit Jesus. They were there to worship him. Now, I don't know what their life was like, but they put everything on the side. They put everything aside to come and worship Jesus. Now, you see, worship, the way I look at it, is an outward response to an inward lifestyle. That's what worship means to me because it's our natural, joyful response. Now, it comes in lots of different ways. It could be singing. It could be shouting. It could be getting on our knees. It could be raising our hands. It could be in giving. You see, my first time at Riverside was about 16 years ago. They can't get rid of me. But I was under this balcony. My aunt invited me to an Easter service. And you see, I grew up in a church of pews and hymnals, and we would read or we would sing all five stanzas of whatever the hymn was that week. That's what I grew up with. And that's not to throw that under the bus or or anything at all. But when I walked in Riverside and I saw people with like flags flying around, people raising their hands, people saying, hallelujah. It it was a little bit freaky deaky to me. I'm not going to lie. But there was something so different in the atmosphere around here. There was something so different in the way that people worshipped that I couldn't stay away. And so for the last 16 years, this has been my church home. Because you see, we exist to worship God. I realized very on at Riverside, they had bought into that. The reason that we're here is to just worship God. Now, I've got to be honest with you. There's times where I don't feel very worshipful. There's times living in our home that are not very fun. There are times when you're trying to get out the door to come to church. And you question if God is even there because you're about ready to kill each other. Sometimes you come into church and you sit down next to that person you've been arguing. Now, don't point at them. Sometimes you walk in here, and full disclosure, we live in Pekin, and there's some times where we have kind of a rough Sunday morning, and it's like silence. Have you ever had that? Don't, no? Okay, I'm not the only one. Okay, three of you. Um, You come in, and you drive all the way, that long drive, and it's like silence because you know you've just had a rough, rough morning. But then you come in here, and you listen to the team that leads us into amazing worship, and I will tell you, I've been in a lot of churches in my day. There is nothing like Riverside worship. I'm telling you, I don't say that just because I love the people up there, but I've been in a lot of places and there's nothing like it. But even on those days where I come in here, there's something that God starts to do that I just can't help but worship because I'm reminded where I was and God, where God brought me from, what he's done in my life, what he's blessed me with, what he's blessed my family with, the miracles he's performed that I've seen. There's other times where I can't help but worship. I don't know about you if you've ever been in the Starbucks drive through and you're up at the window and you're just like worshiping. Has anybody done that? Because I, this just happened to me like a couple of weeks ago. There's a song that I really love right now, and I was listening to it, and I was in that long line, and I pulled up, and they were taking a while to get my drink. And literally, the guy had to say, sir, three times. It's like, sir, sir. And I was like, 
And he's like, sir, your extra hot venti white chocolate mocha is right here. Don't judge me on that. It's like a girl drink. That's a girl drink, I know. Right, but it's delicious. Try it. It'll change your life. Not as much as Jesus, but it'll change your life. Um, or there'll be times where I'm driving down the road, and I'll realize that I'm driving and not holding my hands to the wheel. And literally, like, Carrie Underwood, Jesus needs to take the wheel right now, because we're going to go off into the lake. But you see, I love Psalm 30, verses 11 through 12. It says, you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. Oh my God, you have given, I will give you thanks forever. Because when you're reminded what God's done in your life, you can't help but live a worshipful lifestyle and tell him thank you. You see, these wise men were scientific scholars. They studied astronomy. They studied the stars. So it's not a coincidence that God used a star to guide them. It's what they knew. It's kind of what they were most acquainted with. And they knew that the star that they followed wasn't just any star. It was a star that was prophesied about back in the Old Testament. The star of the Messiah, the Deliverer, their Savior. And they knew that that young baby would one day grow up to change the world, that would take their sin to the cross, that they knew that one day he would take the penalty for all of us who are dead in sin, made alive in Christ. You see, God chose to send his son to the earth. Jesus chose to take our sin and our punishment on the cross because You're chosen by God for great things. You are one of his own. And sometimes we forget that, that God loves you. God created you. God designed you for purpose. In 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10, but you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. You see, God's mercy, God's grace are undeserved. None of us in this room deserve it, but God chose to send his son to the cross to die for each of us. And so that extravagant grace that we get calls for extravagant worship. So when I'm in here on a Sunday morning or in my quiet time or in the car or at Starbucks, I think about what God has done in my life and I can't help but worship because extravagant grace calls for extravagant worship. Third point, the wise men brought an offering. You see, they brought their best. They just didn't bring what they had lying around the house. I don't know about you, but I was a teacher for many years. I'm on staff here, and we have these potlucks every so often, and I'm terrible at remembering the potlucks. I will just tell you right now. So there have been times where I've had to run by Costco, and you buy the big platter of cookies. Like, here you go. Or I'll reach in the cabinet and think like a half-open thing of goldfish and be like, no, enjoy those. Um, and then you get there. Don't, don't judge me. Um, then you get here and like people have taken their time. Like there's a big pan of buffalo chicken dip. Somebody has made like homemade Chex Mix. Not like they opened the bag and just dumped it in. Like they spent hours making it. There's people that bring in like a lasagna with like homemade noodles. Like they actually made the pasta themselves. I'm like, oh my goodness. And then I come up and I put like my family size of Frosted Flakes right there. You're welcome. Don't eat them all at once. Yeah, you're welcome. No, no, I probably shouldn't even say that because many of you are, are starving. This is point three. You're almost out of here. Letty, Letty can make it to Panera in no time at all. She's like counting down 11.54. You got time. I love Panera, Michael. We're going to get a Panera. Favorite. I said in first service, if you're a single guy, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but we can find you. We can match make you. Um, If you are a single guy, find a girl that loves you as much as Letty loves Panera. And then you're, 
your life will be set for the rest of your life. Like, that's a, a good woman right there. All right. Am I, am I still getting my Christmas gift? Uh, it's, it's touch and go. Um, you see, it's not by chance that the wise men brought those gifts. Because, you see, they gave gold, which was a traditional gift of a king. Because they knew that God, that Jesus was the king. They brought frankincense, which was a gift for a priest, because that was what the incense that the priests used. In Hebrews, it goes on to say that Jesus is called the high priest. They brought myrrh, which is a gift for the dead. Now, I've gotten some janky gifts in my day. Nobody's brought me a gift for the dead. But it was so in line with what was appropriate because it's this fragrant kind of ointment that is used to kind of anoint a dead body before they bury it. Because it went on to show that by giving it, they acknowledged that one day Jesus would give up his life. That Jesus would one day go to the cross for each and every one of us. You see, they brought their best. But for some of us, we need to realize that offerings aren't always tangible items that we can pick up and hand over. Sometimes we have to offer up our plans, our situations, even our lives. You see, several years ago, I was a student at Bradley, and I'd gone on this date with this girl, and it was like rough, like romantic comedy, brutal, rough. Like, we didn't get in an accident or anything like that. I didn't get my hair set on fire. But it was just like we had nothing in common. We sat there. I probably had like something in my teeth. It was just gross. Like you couldn't get done with the meal quick enough. Like hurry up, Olive Garden. Let's get going. Maybe it was Olive Garden because I took her there. That could have been. Olive Garden isn't very romantic. But when you're here, you're family. Um, but anyway, I took her home. And I remember I got back in this apartment I was sharing with my friends. And I said to God, you know, if this is what my life is going to look like, I don't think there's any hope of me ever being in a relationship because that was terrible. And I said, God, you're really going to have to show up in order for me to even think about it. Because you see, I come from a family where I said all along, I would never get married because you see, my parents got divorced My grandparents got divorced. My aunt and uncle got divorced. My other uncle and aunt got divorced. Like around our family, myself and our cousins were very disenfranchised with the whole idea of marriage because we didn't see it work. And so that night I was in my apartment and I said, God, I'm just going to give this over to you because it's going to take you intervening in this to make me ever reconsider relationships, marriage, anything of the sort. Two nights later, um, I, was at a, uh, I was at a birthday party, and I got invited, and I got there late, and there were only a couple seats left, and I got stuck sitting next to this girl who I had met at church who wasn't very nice to me. And I remember the first time I met her, it was under the balcony over here, and she was just kind of like, I'm not even going to, I call it fart face, you know, when somebody has like that face, that's so like, she wasn't very nice. Anyway, don't, Letty hates that, hates the word fart. So I just said it again. Um, <laughs> But I met her for the first time, and she was not very nice to me at all. And so here I show up at this birthday party, and the only two seats are right together. And through gritted teeth, we started to talk and make small talk. And then after the movie we went to, after the the dinner we went to a movie, and this girl wasn't really as bad as what I thought she was. She was actually nice when she started to smile a little bit more. Um, And so lo and behold, as the weeks went on, we got to know each other better. And I started reconsidering like, man, maybe God's doing something here. Maybe God is kind of speaking to me in in this way. And I remember back then we had something called encounter nights, which were on Sunday nights here in the church. It was like a night of worship and Pastor John would get up and speak. And I was about six rows back, and I, I, you guys are in the same spot. <laughs> I, said, I said, Peyton and Reese were like in right where they're sitting there, and they're in the same spot, second service. You just liked it so much, you had to come back. Oh, that's, so, that's just such a blessing. Um, but about six rows back here, I was sitting here in between my aunt, who's here today, 
which almost makes me got to look past you because that'll make me cry. Um, and my mom, who's also here, and we were back here about six rows, and I was standing between them. Rach was up here on worship, and, and God had started to do some things on my heart. He started to soften my heart, and I was starting to think, maybe there is a future for me. Maybe I'm not meant to just be that lonely guy for the rest of my life. And I remember I was about six rows back there, and I, and I prayed, and I said, God, that girl on the stage, I think I'm starting to really like her. And I need you to show up if, if, that's, if you want me to continue to pursue that. And literally about four seconds later, Pastor John was up here. And out of his mouth, he said, there's somebody here tonight. And I wrote it down. There's somebody here tonight that has a fear of being married. All throughout your family, you have seen one marriage after another end. But God says you will be married and you will be, go on to be married for the next 50 years. And I lost it because I knew that was a word for me. And, you know, we're, we're 13 years into our marriage and God's been good. But uh, thanks. We've earned it. Let's be honest, 13 and a half, 13 and a half. Because if you've been married for a while, you know sometimes you take that half. Like you, we worked on that half. Um, but 13 years, and I can't wait to see the next 37 years that are still to come. I'm excited what God's doing. And I love how in Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, the Message Bible puts this. So here's what I want you to do. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Oh, I love that. You see, as I was putting this message together... I tell students all the time on a Wednesday night, I never stand up there and preach things that I've got it all together, that I'm the expert on it. It's exactly the opposite. Everything I share with them on a Wednesday night are things that God's still working on in my life. So whether that's telling others about Jesus, forgiving people, being a light in a dark place, temptation, whatever those things are, I tell them all the time, I'm working through this with you. I'm standing here with you. And so as I was starting to put this message together, I'll I'll be really honest with you. It didn't come very easily to me. And as I was putting it together, God started to put a situation on my heart. And he said, you know, you're going to talk about sometimes how you have to offer up situations and relationships to people. But I think there's a relationship that you need to work out. You see, about three years ago, um, my dad and I, we had a falling out. Because there was something that I said years prior to that that just came to light. And just as a side note, please know that your sin will always make its way to the light. It will always be found out. So you can hide all that stuff, all that stuff you've done, but eventually it will come to fruition. People will know, and, and, and you'll have to make it accountable for that. And so... We had this falling out. And for the last three years, my dad and I have kind of had this relationship that's just kind of on the periphery. There were things that I said, there were things that he said, my stepmom was involved, and I had hurt both of them very deeply. And so over these last several years, it hasn't been right. I've been out of relationship with people that I should be loving. During these three years, they've missed out on what God's done in my life. I say to them all the time, I'm not the same guy I was back then. I'm not the same guy that said those things. And I take full responsibility that hurt, I take it, I shouldn't have said it, that was wrong. But you see, they've missed out 
on what God's been writing in our family's life these last few years. They've missed out on being a part of my kid's life. And in turn, we have missed out on their life. They've missed out on being, having grandparents that I know love them. My dad's going through some medical stuff right now and, and I've missed out on being there to help him. So as I was putting this together, God really put on my heart. I offered it up to him. I said, God, I can't stand up there and tell people to offer up things to you if I'm not willing to do the same. And so I, I turned it over to God and I said, God, you're gonna have to do something with this. Because you see, I had never not thought about my dad in the last three years. It wasn't something that our life just went on. Every day, I thought about the choices I made, the mistakes that I made. And every day, I thought about my dad. And so one day when I was doing those four things, I was reading my Bible, I was praying, I was journaling, I was listening. God said, I want you to show up at his house and I want you to attempt to make it right. But you see, the side note to that is over the course of this time, they had moved and, and we didn't even know about it. We found out through the grapevine somebody had mentioned to us. So now I had to show up on his doorstep of a house that I wasn't even supposed to know he lived in. So that day, I got in my, my car and I drove about five, six, seven minutes to their new house and, and my heart was pounding out of my chest. And I walked up there and it took everything in me to knock on that door. And my dad came and I couldn't stop crying. Because you see, we made some initial pleasantries and then we sat down and I had to man up. I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry that I've let it go on this long. And there were things that were unsaid for a while that we had let go for way too long. But you know what? It doesn't mean we resolved everything that day, but I'm trusting that we are on a path of reconciliation. I believe that God's gonna use me to change my dad. He's gonna use me to change my stepmom. And even more importantly, I think he's gonna use my kids. Parents know that what you are doing in your home affects your kids. And that's been the biggest, hardest time is that my kids ask about their mama and papa all the time. And I have to make up some excuses. But in your home, show them, be Jesus to whoever they see. Spend time in the word, spend time praying together. Just spend time with your kids. Because you see, Paul said it best in Philippians 3, 12 through 14. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. You see, God is less concerned with your perfection 
than he is with your transformation. And some of you need to hear that because you've messed up. You're not perfect. Spend five minutes with me. You'll see it's not, I'm not either. I'm right there with you. And some of you right now are crawling into the end of the new year because this year has been tough. It hasn't gone well. There have been issues, there have been trials, there have been things that have come your way. And it's time to turn the page. It's time to start writing the next chapter of your life. You see, sometimes we feel like we have to wait till January 1st to make that happen. Why in the world would you wait two more weeks? Why in the world would you not step in and say, God, I'm turning this over to you and I wanna step into all that you have for me, all that you have for my relationships, all that you have for my family. Because you see, I wrote this down. He's all that we need. Jesus is all that we need because he's all the advice. He's all the answers. He's all the goodness. He's all the healing. He's all the help. He's all the hope. He's all the truth. He's all the wisdom and all the love that is found in the man named Jesus. You know, I love on the days that I'm off, I get to pick up my Ben at school and I see him every single day. He says to his teacher, he's like, there's my dad. And he runs right towards me full on. And I have my arms out and I just can't wait to see him. But for some of us, we need to run to our heavenly father just as fast. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what people have said about you. Some of us need to run to the cross. When I hold out my arms and I see him, it's not surprising that this looks like the shape of a cross. So when Ben comes running to me, he's running to his dad. But if you knew the number of times that I've ran to my heavenly father, when things haven't gone well, when life wasn't perfect, and he's been there and he's taken his arms just like when I see Ben and he hugs us, he loves us. He says, you are mine. child is this, he's the one who's worthy of all of our worship. He's worthy of the worship of all people. It doesn't matter what age you are, what your background, what your race is, God wants us to just come together and worship him. You see, he's the one who was born that ultimately went to the cross for each and every one of us. For all the times that we mess up, all the times that we screw up, I pray that each of us Become like the wise men, where we continually search for God, that we offer up our worship to Him, that we come and we offer our life, offer our situations up to God. So let me ask the question what are you bringing? For some of you, you may need to bring relationships like I had to do. And you just offer it up. God, without you, I don't know that we're ever going to resolve this. But with you, I'm believing that we're walking towards reconciliation. For some of you, you may need to bring your past, things that you've done, things that you've said, what your life has been like. And you need to just offer that up. From today forward, God, I'm moving on. Some of you may need to bring your future. You're at a crossroads right now and you're trying to figure out where you're supposed to go. What God's gonna do with you in this next chapter. I'm gonna hand that over to God. Whatever you want, whatever you want from my life, I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna give it to you, God. And I'm walking into whatever that looks like because I'm believing that you're gonna intervene. Some of you, need to bring forward the lies that people have spoken over your life. You're not good enough. You'll never make it. Don't even try to do it. Because so often we get in 
wrapped up in what people say about us rather than what God says about us. And some of you, as exciting as Christmas is to myself and others in this room, you're not looking forward to it. Because you're walking into your first Christmas without someone very special to you. You're walking into Christmas without that person next to you, that person that used to sit in church with you, that person that went out to meals with you, that person whose hand you held, and you're walking into the season not even looking forward to it. And some of us, we just need to hand that over. God, I'm offering this up. This pain, this hurt, and I don't know where you are. Maybe there's things in your life that I haven't even mentioned, and you're like, I just need to hand that over to God. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you to do something very bold. Will you just stand up where you are? If there's something that you know is inside of you right now that is keeping you from what you think God wants to do in your life, that you're holding on to that stuff just like I was between my dad and I, and finally I came to the point where I've been trying to do this, I've been trying to make it work, I've been worrying about this all the time, but God, I just need to hand that over to you. It's not gonna be easy, it's gonna be a little bit messy, but God, ultimately I'm believing that you can take my mess and make it into something beautiful. If that's you, I want you to stand up because I wanna pray for you today.
to put aside things that are coming out in my life, things that I've let go on too long, but I want to make it right. Today starts fresh. Now, when we're done, we're not heading out of here because Pastor John is going to come up and wrap it up. He has something to share. But I encourage you all, man, this is a God who's given us extravagant grace. And that extravagant grace demands extravagant worship. So will you worship together with us?